Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, but Chuck's not here, Mike. Chuck's not here. Uh, no Chuck today, but... So stop dying, I, Bob. And Stop uh, stop dying, Mike. Yeah. Stop dying, Patrick. Let's, stop dying, Milwaukee. Yeah. Stop dying everywhere. With all the, You know... Uh, I wanted to do one solo thing because a lot of times everything's been so emotional. Like we did a podcast together the other night and it was so much about the protests and Trump. And like, I think that's the, I get played all the time by Trump. I think he wants you to bite on the chaos that he causes. And I, I thought about it and I said, Mike, let's just do a podcast. Not about, the state of affairs other than related to the state of our lives. So that's why I wanted to do a yeah. more calm, calm. I so so the thing agree I agree with you though, about biting on Trump's stuff. I mean, it just, just causes so much chaos, but I don't even want to mention him. Okay. I just want to talk about my family. So, so Sydney said something the other day that I have a, for the, those that don't know, I have an almost four year old daughter. Mike has three daughters. I have a, two sons and my daughter's three years and eight months old and nine months old said, when is the sickness going to be over so we can go back to normal? That's oh, a three, man. that's a four year, it's almost four year old thing. When is the sickness going to be over so we can go back to normal? Yeah. And I thought, you know, sometimes children really say this shit that all the adults should be thinking Rather yeah. than whose fault it is, which is what the adults get into, right? Or whether you should wear a mask or not wear a mask, or whether it's a political issue or not. When can we? Do, when will the will the sickness go away so we can go back to normal? And and I just been thinking about that for two days, and I wanted to talk about that when we we're doing the podcast. But then when you get three adults talking about fucking politics, uh, yeah, man, like, it goes places, you know. But. Everybody wants that to go back to normal. Now, what was interesting to me, looking at it from a psychoanalytics point of view, is when things were normal, prior to the coronavirus, everybody was miserable and angry and drunk and high <laughs> and fentanyl. You know what I mean? And so why is it that it takes tragedy for us to refocus on what's important? Yeah, I don't know, man. You know what I mean? It really does. Like my dad didn't fight in World War II, but he was in the army in World War II. That that was such a historic suffering and tragedy and horror that the people involved in it never forgot it, not for a day. Right? My dad would talk about, well, back in the war, well, you know, we almost didn't have this country that you live in, Bobby. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whenever I yeah. uh, his white upper middle class spoiled children would be complaining about their bike chain broke. He would always <laughs> say, well, you almost didn't have this country yeah. if it wasn't for, you know, like what happened in, in World yeah, War II. That's true, man. You know, people sacrifice and eat your vegetables because there's people starving in China. That was my, when I was a kid in the late 60s, the claim that you had to eat your food because there were people starving in China there's no, I don't, I don't know if there's people starving in China anymore. But back in the '60s, that was my dad's um, claim the, of how to make children grateful. You should be grateful you got vegetables because mm -hmm. children in China don't. Yeah, they're starving then, in North Africa now. Then North when Africa. Elijah, my older son, was, who's going to be 34 coming up, when he was that age, I used to say, you know, there's people in Africa that are starving, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. And, and I now you. I, I. I don't, I don't, I don't know that we shame children like that. That they should be grateful for their vegetables because there's people starving somewhere. I, I, this generation, I've been, I've been through three generations of parenting. I was parented, then I parented, you know, the Gen Xers, and now I'm parenting the whatever generation this is. Yeah. And, and do you tell your kids be grateful for their food because uh, there's no, people starving? No, they ask me, are they organic? <laughs> <laughs> Is it free range? Yeah, <laughs> free range. <laughs> free range. Like if Matt is, you know, I don't want to get my 
pita brothers and sisters up in our arms. The eggs taste different, man. They taste better. You know what I mean? They really do. I don't know if it's happy chickens or what the fuck, but you know. No, but they're, I'm they're talking about the eating raised. chicken, not the egg. You've seen what they do with that. I, I mean, I wouldn't want any animals all caged up and shit and, and feeding us for no good reason. And then you chop them up and throw them in sausage. I don't get it. You know, that's cruel. Well, how do they make the chicken stars at Carl's Jr. is what I was wondering. Are there star-shaped uh, chicken? No, you don't want to know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, that, it's that pink stuff. The pink stuff. Is, that there, they use, is there any chicken in the Carl's Jr. Happy Meal chicken stars? Because mm. I got to admit, my daughter, Sydney, that led me to this discussion of when is the sickness going to go away so we can go back to normal. And normal to her means preschool, Disneyland, seeing her friends, you know, not wearing masks. I, I think, you know, the first time I put a mask on her, she was all pulling away like a dog when you're trying to leash it. Yeah, right. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, no, you can't go in the store unless well, you have Well, you know song. what, dude? I've already got mine just, just going over to see their friends. Go out and have a good time. Take your mask. If they want you to wear a mask, wear a mask. Right. So that really is like you and it was I so... have lived through a whole lot, Bob. We have lived through malathion, right. paraquat, AIDS. We've lived through drug addiction. Oh, paraquat! I forgot about that. Yeah. So Mitch Hansen, I, I think that it's past the statute of limitations now. Okay. For those that don't know, Mike and I had Thelonious Monster. There was a guy named Chris Hansen. Was a guitar oh, everybody player. knows everybody. His knows. brother Mitch was like a guru to all of us. He was older. He was a stock market investor. He always wore like really nice clothes. And and they both talked exactly the same. Well, Bobby, he used to call me just Bobby. Just like Chris. Well, Bobby, I just don't know. I saw him. He, I used to live at their house and he was doing the stock market. And he would get up like at four in the morning. He'd wear a, like a bathrobe, like a silk bathrobe. And he would sit there and he had the TVs on with all the stock markets and he had a phone and this is in the prime, prime, you know, the beginning stages of home kind of trading. And I go in there and I go, Mitch, can you explain to me what's going on? And he has other look in his face. Oh, Bobby, it would be so hard to explain to someone like you what I'm doing. <laughs> I was like 21 years old. He was only probably like 27, but he seemed like this sophisticated guy. But what is it? They both sound exactly the same. How, they do. They, they have that. They get that. It's a weird, it's like, a, I don't know what kind of draw it is. They were born in Utah, but Utah doesn't have an accent <laughs> like that. But there's this pause like, oh, it would it's be just, so hard for me to explain what I'm doing to someone like you, Bobby. It's, it's like a handsome <laughs> drawl, you know? Yeah. So so back in that era, what what year was Paraquat? 83, 84? I don't know. Mitch bought uh, some weather balloons. <laughs> and when they were spraying the Paraquat over Echo Park, over their house, he released the the air balloon, so the helicopter would have to go away. <laughs> and it was in the LA Times that, you know, some <laughs> crazy madman in Echo Park <clears throat> is releasing air balloons and they could have downed the helicopter. But people don't know. They just went over Los Angeles. Mike, you were there with these sprayers of poison across like Los Angeles. Just Remember? Because you it could was, see it on your car. And you could smell it in the air. And it was just spraying this thing all across LA at night. So nobody really knew what was yeah, going nighttime, on. Yeah. Mitch Hansen got some air balloons and let them go up towards the helicopters and they're going over his house. That's hilarious. And so they yeah, they sprayed all of Los Angeles for weeks on end at night with some poison. Um <laughs> you know, do you just, remember there was a Paraquat Kelly? Remember the DJ? DJ. Right on K Rock. On K Rock. Paraquat <laughs> Kelly. Yeah. So so we've lived through all AIDS and HIV and AIDS. I mean, oh my God, like just devastating to a, a lot of our friends. Um so so, you know, this is another thing, but I don't think anything has affected children the way this has. I mean, I don't, in my lifetime, it's never been like no school, no work, no nothing, no driving, no going anywhere, everything closed. I mean, it, it, it's similar to what 
I think England must have experienced during the bombings. Like, and here's an interesting thing. Children who were one and two and three and four years old during the bombing raids of, on England, right, where they had to turn out the lights, no, no business, nobody go anywhere so that the Germans couldn't see where England was so well, right? Yeah, yeah. Those children were, let me name some of them, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, right? The geniuses of an art movement to come out of that tra traumatic childhood. And what you're and, and I see it in every generation. Trauma, yes, it equals addiction and pain and suffering and mental illness and anxiety and all that. It also equals Lil Peep and Tyler the Creator and all the great art that's going on now. Their trauma is what created their art. John Lennon and Paul McCartney's tra trauma of World War II is what created is what created the the British invasion. <clears throat> the <clears throat> the I often think like the oppression and the meaninglessness of suburbs of suburban living, right, which was white flight out of the cities, is what led to punk rock. So the idea was, oh, my God, black people are living in our neighborhood. We have to move to Anaheim. We have to move to Huntington Beach, where there are no black or brown people. White flight, it was called. Right. That's when you got to Huntington Beach. I actually like, you know, I lived in one of those suburban areas my whole life in Palm Springs. It's just like. There's nothing to do for children. They had this idea of get the children away from the black and brown people, but they had no idea of what the children were going to do there. What was the big problem with the, the black and brown people? The white people never thought of that. And so what led to was vandalism, juvenile delinquency, because we were all just out in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do. Oh, yeah, There's right. a great movie about it called Over the Edge. You ever seen that movie? No. You never saw it with Matt Damon? I never saw oh, it. Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. It's from like 78. And it well, and it describes that suburban meaningless existence that all the white people were sold in the white flight movement out of the urban areas in the 60s. And so from that boredom, that boredom comes TSOL and Circle Jerks and Black Flag, that boredom and tediousness and racism, you know, and I think that's what, that's what, that's the audience that was ready for an aggressive nihilistic music. Like, that's what exploded in Southern California, in my opinion, was we were bored shitless, bored shitless. I always describe the first time I went to Huntington Beach, my sister had already moved there. And then me and my mom went down there to visit. And I just remember driving down whatever street we got off the 405, um, probably Golden West, and just driving and looking at all the cement walls around cement walls. I couldn't understand it. I'd never seen, because I grew up in Palm Springs where there's no fences and there's no walls. Right. And in Inglewood where there's no fences, no walls. And in South Beverly Hills, Culver City, where there's no fences, no walls. All of a sudden, you felt like you were going into this militarized zone of cement walled houses. These brown brick, tall brick walls. Yes. It's six, so six gross. Feet. It's so... And, and the funny thing is, is you go into like Santa Ana back then or you go back into Fountain Valley or something and there's no there was none it stopped yeah there's no it fence stopped. there it was all farmland it's all farmland yeah. so so I just remember and I really do believe with every traumatic kind of badly raised generation something good comes of that hurt which is punk rock and then and you know, the mu music we're involved in, like the, I don't know what you call our music, alt, alt rock, is that what it is? Alt rock? <laughs> like, uh, what they is, called it, what is, they so called not, you guys college rock. You guys, like you didn't make the best record we made. <laughs> so college rock or alt rock. So, alt rock. So let's just categorize. To me, it's all punk rock, and that's how Flea talks too, and Anthony, that's how, it's just all punk rock. It all is the spirit whether it's Gang of Four or the Gun Club or Black Flag or the replacements, it's all punk rock. Yeah, but it has but, a but punk there, rock but there aesthetic. Was a 
there was a different corporate punk rock too also that which was duran duran and then these bands that were put together sort of by record companies to capitalize off of the new wave sort of movement that 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 was a whole but I, you know but the main driver of new wave was a great artist one of the original 10 punk rockers adam ant he was there at the very beginning before johnny rotten you know what I'm saying? Well, he wasn't responsible for that sound. Marcos, with the guitar player, was re- was responsible no, for I'm that. I'm not talking Adam about sounds. Ant. I'm talking about aesthetics. I'm talking about punk rock, and I'm I, and whether listen, the alternative, like Duran Duran, is kind of that band that makes you think twice about everything, <laughs> is because because up until Duran Duran, everything was better than White Snake. Right? That's what you're rebelling against. You're rebelling against the lameness of Rick Wakeman and what, what, what Yes had become, <coughs> what Fleetwood Mac had become, the bloatedness and sickening boringness and gargantuousness of rock music. Punk rock was a streaming down a fuck that. Right? Then it starts rebuilding and you get to Duran Duran and you're like, wow, is this much different than the shit we were rejecting? It's larger than life. Their their sound is homogenized, right? It is that tipping point. Duran Duran is the tipping point. Well, there's exactly, but there the punk rock thing was a homespun. You know, you could record that shit in a small little studio, and it would sound great. You know, on cheap broken guitars and amps that you bought at the pawn shop you couldn't do that with the corporate rock stuff because it was so overblown it was taking them five years to make albums i know so let let me ask you a punk rock question you were there when kurt cobain did rio at the rock and rio festival that's a duran duran song yeah was he doing that i know he was doing it to make fun of a little bit to take the wind out of but he's also doing it because he grew up with that song Yes, exactly. It's a, yeah. So he likes that song. You can't not like it because you were 11 years old when it came out. Right. Right? But you know it's a horrible, overblown, meaningless song. But sure. you still like it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I like that about so much. Sammy Hager, Boston, Kiss. Uh, Led Zeppelin's a little goofy, the lyrics. They're, they're pretty meaningless lyrics. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So. So you have these things that you grow up with that are just embedded in your musical memory DNA. And though you might reject it for its overblownness or lack of genuineness and authenticity, you still like it. I think he likes that song. I don't think you can do it as good as he did it and not like it. Right. You know what I mean? When the replacements were doing AM radio songs, it wasn't to make fun it was because Paul Westerberg likes those songs. Right, right. And he got drunk enough just to pull off whatever yeah, he could. Like yeah, like bare, a bare minimum version of it. <laughs> but, as many lyrics as they knew, and then the song went somewhere but else. There was something, of, yeah, Duran Duran always is that. For me, it's like, is that, because everything <clears throat> from 77 to like 85, <clears throat> 84, is very different than the music we were rejecting. And then it starts to turn and become very much like the music we were rejecting. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? And Duran Duran's that. And then, then you get into the post-grunge movement where a lot of those bands just sound like they're trying to sound like Nirvana or Alice in Chains and just gets this homogenized thing. Same right. thing with punk rock. Now, Green Day, I liked when Dookie came out, I thought, oh, it's a bug. because here's the thing about you can't understand Green Day, what the perception of it was before it was Green Day. So Keith, in probably 93 or whatever, had the cassette tape of Dookie before it came out. And, and he often had cassettes of bands he was advocating for and he insisted you listen to you have to listen to this well you need to listen to this he would be on tour and he would meet them they would come to the show and give him a tape and he would think but he wouldn't like all of them but he would become an advocate for some of them i the times he's talked about the jesus lizard to me is like he could fill a room you really need to sit and listen to the Jesus lizard. Oh, you really God. do, Bob. 
And I was like, I've listened to it. I just don't get it. I get that I people either, like it. It's just not my thing. He loves the Jesus lizard. <laughs> and at that time, he won't maybe admit it now. He loved that Dookie record. He played it a lot, right? And I was thinking, oh, this is just another one of Keith's, one of those bands that idolized Keith and gave him a tape, just like you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And he and he actually liked it. So now he's advocating, and it's this is this circle of appreciation. Like they appreciate him, that's why they gave him the record. Then he liked it. Then he's going to try to get his friends to like it. But it's a circle of, Keith, of positivity. Keith was funny because there there were people that were not in the circle, and Keith was just a big music fan. I mean, he loved Fog he Hat. Did. Here's the thing: what was hard for Keith is. He really didn't like the music of Thelonious Monster, but he loved all of us. Yeah. <laughs> he was trapped. I know. I know that one time where Keith went around with a Thelonious Monster record going to somebody, you really need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But the Jesus Lizard, Lanigan, he used to talk about Lanigan all the time. Well, Mark Lanigan uh, is, is great, though. Yeah. yeah. But so, so anyways, Dookie kind of perfected that punk rock sound that that album green day's album that kind of perfected it along with the wolves record by rancid that kind of was the apex of that kind of punk rock and what's interesting it didn't sound exactly like circle jerks or black flag or or the clash or it sounded a little bit it had had pieces of it but it really wasn't as rough or raw or edgy or lyrically as controversial as the bands that those guys idolized, right? But every band after that for the next 10 years copied that sound. Well, it Green comes Day each generation. It, it comes each generation. You know, that generation of, of uh, you know, uh, was a tribute to the earlier bands. And then there were bands that came after them that were, but well, to well but, but they're copying green day. Green day is influenced by bad religion, obviously by circle jerks, by, by black flag, by the Ramones. It's obvious. You can, they wear their influences on their sleeve, but they did have a kind of specific, unique sound, a, a blown out sound, a bigger than punk rock sound. Right. right. And then every band copied their sound. And then you just, that's what waters something down. And I, I think that, that by the, it's just something about music that it, it starts with this trauma and this explosion of pain and suffering and aggression and creativity and imagination and, 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 and desperation. Then it gets kind of semi-popularized, semi-organized, semi-popularized. Then it gets, somebody manifests it and then it gets copied and copied and copied until that sound is worthless and meaningless. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. And that happened with the replacements were one band. I would say that people copied the sound of, I certainly did it happened. And I, I know that solo sign wouldn't admit it, but I think they were very much influenced by the replacements. How could you not? How There's a not? whole lineage of replacements. I, I include Nirvana in that. It was obvious that Kurt Cobain likes the replacements yeah. to me. Oh, they influenced right? a lot of people, yes. Yeah, and and I I think that 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 everybody likes to point to the Ramones, uh, you know, the Sex Pistols, the Clash, but really the punk rock sound that everybody thinks about is a specifically Southern California punk rock sound. It's specifically Bad Religion and Circle Jerks, not even Black Flag. It's well, Penny, like Pennywise pop, now. Pennywise, Pennywise is huge, right? But Pennywise yeah. is kind of a little like, after, but it's that extension. But when I when we played on the Warp Tour, I would walk around and see the bands. Right when we were old men, Mike playing yeah. the Warp Tour on the Legends of Punk stage. <laughs> the, that was so pathetic. Depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> many like the, a time. Like, they should I have just called it the boneyard. Your face. I would look out at the familiar face of some old punk rocker I knew from back in the day, and they would say, "Yeah, we came over here to be a husband and wife. We came over here. Our kids are over there watching the real punk rock." Band. Twenty people in front of us. <laughs> Two generations of punk rock all in one day, thanks to Kevin Lyman. And I walked around there 
with Lee Ving one day and we were just walking around and it was just like, he saw the same. We were excited that kids like punk rock and were jumping around and having fun. It was vibrant and alive, but the sounds of the bands were 30 years old. It was nothing new about it. It hadn't evolved musically. It was just like, do you think that people like Steve Jones or anything, when they hear Green Day and they hear Billy Joe singing in like an English accent, do you think they recognize him singing in that English accent or does it just seem yeah, like think, normal to them? I think they can recognize that because <laughs> you have a sneer. It's a sneer. The English thing that Johnny Rotten created was a sneer. Joe Strummer was a sneer. It was like the Elvis Presley sneer. Everybody did the Elvis yeah, Presley it's like, sneer. Yeah, it's like Elvis Presley. It's kind of New York. It's kind of London. But then it, you know, Keith has a kind of sneer to his to group Keith sex is more and of stuff. a yell. Keith is no, more of a, I mean, that is. Beverly Hills, Century City. That, that could be an English accent. You could say that uh, if you wanted to. It's some sort of accent. It ain't South fucking Bay. California. South Bay. South Bay. Yeah. So, so, but getting back to Sid's thing about the coronavirus, I, I, I don't know what to think. I, so, I, what do you think? Opening up California? You think we're, I don't think we're going back. I don't think we're going back. I don't back think we're in. going back. We're coming we're out. We're not man. going back. But like what a, does, what does the future hold? What does the, does it hold even more death than we've already had? I mean, no. I think that if it's going to open up the society and it doesn't seem to be in the hands of the doctors and the logical, reasonable experts anymore, it's kind of in the hands of the politicians. So if we're going to open up, shouldn't we lock down the nursing homes? Shouldn't we protect the people who are really dying, 88% of the people that are dying? Well, I think or, there'll be there'll be you know that kind of, those precautions and stuff, but but I don't think anybody's going back in the house, man. They're all out. You know, we're going to restaurants. We went to a fish camp the other night, like I said, and we all ate dinner, no masks. You know, I mean, you just stay away from everybody. And when you walk up and you order, but but you wear does your everybody mask. aware that nothing has really changed from when we were all scared to leave our house? Yeah, well, you know, that's <laughs> mass media. Uh, that's a that, well, I think I think that's a fear I think it's a fear experiment. Well the media focusing on the protests now that fear that CNN and MSNBC and Fox even was just pumping out day after day the death toll and people are press right. conferences and everybody's they dying and you're going to die they now have the protests yeah, the murder out. hornets didn't really take hold Mur murder hornets never took off <laughs> But this uh, this protest, you know, and rightly so, I'm glad it's getting coverage, and I'm glad it's you know it might induce some change. Well, it's not that I told you I, I've never been more hopeful. Like I expected, like every other protest, Trayvon Martin or or Rodney King or anything, it's it's going to go for a week, and there's going to be some riots, and it'll all kind of go back to normal. This is not going back to normal. This is not. This is day. I think we're day 16. This is crazy. No protests have ever lasted this long since the 30s that were, you know, basically socialist because of the Depression socialist protests. And we know how that ended. The cops came in and just beat and killed and imprisoned everybody that wanted socialism. Right. So um, that's not happening with this either. Right. They're just people are now, you know, when you got Mitt Romney walking with the Black Lives Matter leader, come on, that's a crazy yeah. fucking thing. So, we on the last one, we talked about who we would vote for. Well, that's the my other... thing. Like, I'm not a big Biden supporter, but I would vote for anybody. Yeah. And I, you and I were joking, like, I would literally vote for anybody. So, if it's Biden. Even if Biden's in a coma, if Biden is in a coma, I will vote for him. And it's not out of hatred of, of Trumpers or thinking we're going in the run. Here's an interesting thing. Anytime somebody is out of power, they always point to this poll that says wrong direction, right direction. You ever heard of this poll? No. So it's about how if Americans feel whether the country is going in the right direction or wrong direction, right? Yeah. It's always about 
75% of the people think the country's going in the wrong direction. <laughs> if, you go, if you go back to 2010, they'll say, yeah, it's almost everybody. percent believe it's going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so that means that, that George Bush is in trouble. And, the other 25% and, and, just didn't yeah. answer their phone. Yeah, <laughs> but, and, but it's just so crazy. The right direction, wrong direction polls consistently favors wrong direction. So, and they always blame whoever's in power. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so now we're at an 80, 20 wrong direction. Right. But then you go a little bit deeper in the polls. Trump still has a 45% approval rating. So even though they think it's going in the wrong direction, they still support Trump. Yeah, so to me, I'm like, I just can't take any more of him. I, I, I really, and I told a friend this and I don't, I didn't talk about it much in the beginning. I really thought he was a man of no party. And he would just go in there like a wheeler dealer. He'd cut deals with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi just to keep the Republicans off guard so he could get what he wanted from the Republicans. And then he would go to the Republicans and he would just wheeler deal and he would not be tied to yeah, any Yeah, you did politi- get that idea. That's yeah. what I thought yeah. was going to happen. And yeah, that's exactly. not what happened because his ego is so fragile that the slightest criticism sets him off on a tangent that this is not because of what the presidency is. I think Obama said it best. If, if you can't look square in the eye of, of constructive criticism, you shouldn't run for president. Meaning the con- criticism you're going to get is going to be constructive. A lot of time he can't even accept constructive criticism. Like no. from Republicans saying, hey, why don't you Twitter less? He can't, well, don't you fucking tell me. I'll go after you, blah, 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 blah. He yeah. can't. He's a man who can't accept criticism. And so that's a job for a man or woman that can accept criticism, that can, that can be a compromiser, a healer, a, a kind of mender of fences who thinks of a higher meaning to things. And so he's just, He's just emotionally unfit for that job. Right. Right. So I'll vote for anybody because I think there's too much pain. There's too much division. There's too much suffering. I love my Republican brothers and sisters. One of my best friends is a Republican. He's a Trumper. Hey, Rocky Rocky De La Fuente is still running. Who's that? Rocky De La Fuente. De La Fuente. Who the fuck is that? (laughs) He's a Republican. He's an American businessman, a politician. He's still on the ticket. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. There's there's another guy, the guy from Massachusetts, but that's all nonsense. The point is that I do have one of my best friends, a Republican and a Trumper. He's gotten... He's he through the years he's admitted one time he said I don't know if my guy's much of a leader. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's what he said about two years ago. We're just sitting out eating breakfast and he goes I don't know if my guy's much of a leader, right? <laughs> a week ago he said enough is enough of this. Yeah, and I'm using him as a barometer. Right. If if he who is big Trump supporter, not a crazy idiot like some of our Huntington Beach friends, but just a logical, he wants things to get fucked up. He wants to move the needle back to the right. Right. Liberals will disagree with that, saying the needle is so far to the right. Understand, in 2015, we were discussing transgender bathrooms in North Carolina. Right, That right. was the People most important issue People. in America, according to fucking liberals. Yeah. Right? So, not murdering children in Syria. That wasn't as important as transgender bathrooms in North Carolina. So, so but get this. So... He just wanted to, you know, wanted to reset the clock and reset things. And I understand that Trump seemed like a vehicle to do that. Well, that's been done. And my friend a week ago said, enough is enough. Yeah. Right? So I'm just going with that. Enough is enough. So whoever is running, <laughs> I will vote for. And I'm going to tell you some of the people I would Dennis vote Rodman. for. Dennis Rodman. Dennis <laughs> Rodman. I would vote for him. Kanye I West. I would vote for Kanye at this point. I'd vote for Kim. Scott I'd Walker. I'd vote for Kim Kardashian right now. <laughs> I would vote for Tom Waits. I would vote for Neil Young. 
I would vote for I would vote for uh, Kamala Harris. I would vote for Nancy Pelosi. I would vote for uh, Chuck Schumer. I would vote for a million people that just and and let's pick some Republican brothers and sisters. I would vote for uh, Jeff Flake, who just got run out of town in Washington by Trump. I would vote for anybody that can beat this guy and get him off of our television sets, just off of our television sets, away from our children, away from our schools, away from each other so that we can't be so divided because Americans have nowhere near as much uh, that they fight about as they have in common. People care about their kids. People care about their communities. People have different ways of expressing that. And what was great about America was as long as you didn't infringe on someone else's rights to live the way they wanted to, it was cool whatever you thought. Exactly, yeah. And we need to get somewhere close back to that. I don't know if we could ever, I don't know if that place ever really existed, but it existed a lot closer to that than the last three years have been, right? Yeah. Like I, I just can't. Can you write in a dead guy? Because I was thinking of writing in David Doc, Bowie. Doc, I would vote yeah. for David Bowie. I don't know if he's an American <laughs> yeah, or citizen. Do, or Doc Ellis. This this week he's coming up on fifty years when he threw his uh, when he threw. Oh, the, Doc Ellis. When he threw the no hitter on. Uh, on I would acid. vote for literally anyone I think could beat him. Cher. I would vote for Cher. Cher. That would I be would a good vote one. for Beyonce, Michelle Obama. I vote for. I vote for. Anybody, I might even that vote can for bring uh, us back to civility. Henry Rollins, just to might. civility. I don't know about Henry. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say. I don't know if is he better. Yeah, no, I vote for Henry. I, I vote would. for Tom York. I vote for Flea. I vote for anybody. <laughs> Keith Morris for president. Anybody. Oh Billy Re- Joe Armstrong, whatever the guy's name is. Tim. Uh. Tim from Rancid, Brett Gerwitz, anybody for president, anybody who can beat this man and get him off my fucking television. <laughs> That's it. That's how I leave it. Anybody, like, and and you feel free to email us some ideas. If if I'm not, if I don't know enough conservative voices, I you know Lou Dobbs. I would vote for Lou Dobbs right now over this nonsense. I'm trying to think. I watch Fox for 30 minutes a day. I'm trying. I wouldn't vote for Tucker Carlson or Hannity. Maybe, maybe that Brett Hume. Hume. I'd vote for Brett Hume for president. Yeah. Anybody but this guy. He has to go. Exactly, man. What about what about Colin Powell? He's 83. Colin Powell. He's 83. Two sides of the fence. I would vote for Eminem. Eminem for president, Dr. Yeah. Dre for president, Ice Cube for president. What about the Wisconsin governor, uh, uh, Scott Walker? Evers. Uh, Scott no, Walker. No, I don't know about Scott Walker. No, I don't know about him. But <laughs> but Evers, I think Evers is the current. What about our, our Wisconsin brothers? You think they'd be into that? Patrick for president. Patrick. I would. Patrick will be president someday. I know. I if he stays on course, stays He's sober, a good man takes care of his family, He's takes care of his community, man. I'm telling you, Al Sharpton for president. Anybody, anybody you can name. How many people in America? 350 million? Just 349,999,999 people. Any of them but Donald Trump. Remember when we campaigned for Jesse Jackson? Maybe it's Jesse Jackson's time. Jesse Jackson, (laughs) uh, he's a little old. But yeah, Jesse Jackson's the same as Biden. Come on now. You can't understand either one really well. Harry Belafonte. I just looked up Harry. I just looked up Harry Belafonte today. What a genius that guy is. 70 years of genius. He is 93 years old. I oh, vote for my. Harry Belafonte for president before <laughs> I'd vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> right? It would really de- it would really be important who was the vice president. On that <laughs> oh my god. What oh about Mike god. Steele? You said something about Mike Steele. You liked him. No. Mike Steele? No, J- uh, John Cena. I I saw him in an interview. I like John Cena. You know the old wrestler? Yeah, well, there is a, a Mike. Cool there's a Mike Steele that's a wrestler, but there's a Mike Steele that's a politician too. Yeah, there's the Steele. I don't know if his name Mike Steele. 
Yeah. He Steele, the former RNC president, uh, 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 director, yeah. the black guy, Steele. Yeah, yeah, I vote for Steele. I vote for the woman uh, that hosts, that used to work for Bush, that hosts one of the MSNBC shows. I vote for her. I vote for Oprah. I vote for anybody, 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 anybody. <laughs> Sydney, my four-year-old daughter could do a better job. She said, when is the sickness going to be over so we can go back to normal? Oh my no God. purer a statement than there's 350 million people thinking that. And, and then as soon as we think that thought, we start arguing about whose fault it was, who's to blame, who's stopping us from having our rights to not wear masks or wear masks. It's just we got to stop this. And I think he is the lightning rod of it. And he, he just has to be defeated. He has to. And I hope some of our more conservative brothers and sisters are listening. It's yeah, not it's like not an insult. It's, it's not like we, it's you know. just about what he. It might not even be his fault, but he opened this Pandora's box of ugliness and racism and division and classism and sickness and disease. Well, you know, and who who like who who tear gases protesters to walk across the street and hold the Bible upside down and and pose for pictures, you know. Well, I mean Richard Nixon, uh 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 he know. did the exact same thing? Yeah, I mean, it's so tough on law and order. That's what he's he's mimicking Richard Nixon. But I mean, I don't, I don't want to go down the political angle. I just yeah. want to talk about the social angle. The social angle is are you know there's it's just to, uh, to quote my republican trumper loving friend enough is enough yeah right right and i asked him if he's gonna vote and he said for biden no fucking way but he's not gonna vote and so when former trumpers don't vote yeah. that means that means they're yeah. voting for biden I, you know same as when i wouldn't vote for hillary i was i I didn't want to think I was voting for Trump, but in hindsight, I was voting for Trump. Yeah, right. But I, but I, I rationalized that I live in California, and there's no electoral college going to vote to be taken away by me not voting. No. But if I was in Wisconsin, or I was in Pennsylvania, or if I was in Michigan, uh, if I was in Minnesota, if I was in Florida, I would have taken my vote more seriously. And that's why we have to kind of look at the electoral college. Like, is it still a thing? Arizona is going to be a big turning, turning state, I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, the whole thing of, you know, there's so many facts that are fascinating to me. Just facts. You don't have to have meaning behind them. But the facts are that California is the sixth largest economy in the world. Our tax base, what we pay in taxes, pays this for 22 states in the United States, the 22 poorest states, our taxes. What's interesting is those states hate us. You know yes, what I mean? I get it. We're paying for Alabama's schools and they fucking hate us. Yeah. It's just crazy. This whole, you know, hopefully we can find a way where we can get back to civility and back to unity and back to some sort of respectability and respect of one another. But if we can't, I think California should just secede from the union. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm fine we, being. A, we would uh, probably be better off, actually. So we got three ports, of California, we got a lot of army speaking bases. of California, well, how is the new Malibu house coming? What's going on? It's great. It's yeah. people love it. It's yeah. I'm a little nervous. It's got too many little hidden places you could sneak drugs in or do drugs oh yeah yeah you got to get so some got, eyes you got to get some eyes got, on the ground i got eyes on the ground and cameras and i think you need to kind of uh, my thing is just address it right away like with you know when somebody comes in here we're gonna have to search you really intensely i know you don't usually get that at some fancy rehab but we have to keep this place safe Right. Yeah, because 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 fancy rehabs. Just so you know, fancy rehabs don't really do all that all that good at searching people. Well, you and, know what I mean. At Cry Help, you take all your clothes off, and they go through your clothes, right. and then they make you spread them. Right. Right. How crazy is that? When's the last time that, that happened to you, Mike, in L.A. They, County Jail? <laughs> <laughs> in my no good Nick days, it uh, happened a lot, but um. 
So, we're not saying spread them, but we're gonna. We just have to keep this place because it's the most beautiful place on a cliff in Malibu. It overlooks the ocean. It's got like two and a half acres. Just think of that. Seventeen drug addicts to living on two and, and a half acres. And just to <laughs> clarify to the layman who doesn't know anything about rehabs, it's not that you know that you're you're preventing people from dying because they're not they're they're off of drugs you know and when they do sneak drugs in that's when you know bad things can well, happen well i think i always say that i i most times you know i have more ex- rehab patient experience than you mike you have none i have none i probably a third of the time tried to smuggle something in i had no intention of like it wasn't with ill intent it was just like well i'm going to need something you know, just to get over this first couple of days hump. So I would smuggle heroin in or pills in, a load, um, never alcohol or I never smoked pot. So, but I would, I would smuggle drugs in. So I understand it. My intention was to get sober. I wasn't trying to affront the place or outsmart everybody. I just wanted to bring a little, what, and usually it was whatever I had left when somebody was driving me to the rehab, <laughs> right? You start thinking like, Oh, I don't need any more of this. I can hide it in my underwear or hide it somewhere. Well, what's and, that place down at the end of the uh, at the end of the ninety freeway that uh, all right yeah, there? Yeah, Exodus, Exodus, Exodus. That's what I so smuggle I snu- drugs in I all sh- the time. I snuck in drugs for Robin in there, and and <laughs> you brought it into. I brought him? it in. Yeah. Oh that, my God, Mike Mars. <laughs> I was one of those. Here's the funny. <laughs> here's the funny part, though. He had an IV drip, right? So he said, "Put it in that little valve thing." So I put it in the little valve and. <laughs> And then it just it just sat there, stuck a little piece of tar and heroin. Like, you know, it was like this liquid. You know, I put it in a syringe, and then I put the syringe in the little valve thing and squirted yeah. it in. And then the brown stuff was just sitting there, and he was. It, it was, wasn't dripping in. No, it was dripping in, but it was going so slow. Oh like, my was god, like, he was so bumming. Yeah, he was just really, really bumming about. Oh it. God, rest run, Robin <laughs> Soul. But uh, yeah, so. So we just need to make it safe, but it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's, um, you know, so the comment we used to always get about our old house that was cool, the one you went to, the burned down, is like from, from, I'm not going to say they're millennials, but they were millennials. Like about day three, I would see them and they'd say, how come you don't have a swimming pool here? Every time. Wow. If it, if they're 22, they always made a comment at one time or another in the beginning why we didn't have a swimming pool there. You could hit the ocean with a rock. Yeah, but <laughs> but to not but that's why they go to rehab because every rehab has a swimming pool. <laughs> so I want all our potential customers at home to know we have a swimming pool at the new Malibu Aloe yeah. <laughs> and the ocean. <laughs> I was like, because I don't like swimming pools. I I just not I either. think it's. I think you shouldn't go to rehab because of a swimming pool, but this house is so beautiful. And then we walk around this corner, we're looking at it. We're looking out of this corner, and I just went, oh, fuck. And it's got this swimming pool, right? And Bob Howland, the intake director, the, you know, he goes, what, what, what? And he was like thinking I was mad about something. And I said, it's got a swimming pool. And he goes, that's good, isn't it? And I go, no, it's not good. Drug addicts shouldn't be swimming, they should be <laughs> oh, fucking. <come> on. <laughs> They should be pulling a plow. Well, here's the thing. Like, ask yourself this at home. When you imagine your family member or loved one or friend going to rehab, do you really imagine them in a swimming pool, like just lounging around in Malibu? Or do you want them in groups learning about themselves and fucking and shredding the layers of denial and getting peeling themselves as an onion to get serious about life? Right? Or do you want them swimming? Sending pictures home. <laughs> Look at me. I'm in the pool. <laughs> oh, I told, I told a lot of kids, you know, because we used to allow, we allow, we allow phones in outpatient, but not in inpatient or not in the first to detox portion or something. And kids were taking pictures of the view at that house that you went to, yeah. right? Like selfies of them, the sun setting over the ocean. I was like, dude, I, I just told, I've told a hundred kids like, Dude, I wouldn't send that to your parents. I wouldn't really post that on Instagram. Yeah. And they'd be like, why? And I go, because people think you're in rehab and you send that picture and they're going to go, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah. Right. right? Oh, the sunset's so beautiful here in Malibu. But, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful place, but it's a place where you should cry and 
dig deep and get and serious about yeah, how, right, to, exactly. how to get your life together. You know, we had a mutual friend of ours daughter just transitioned to outpatient in Silver Lake. And, and uh, you know, she wasn't wanting to go. wasn't wanting to go. I was like, you got to go. You got to go back to reality. You've been to the, we played at the Silver Lake place, right? Yes. That's reality of most people's lives. That's a nice neighborhood in, in Silver Lake. Yeah. But, it, you know, you're not overlooking the ocean. Like, you know, you should be back to reality. So our outpatient program is back to reality. It's in Silver Lake. It's in a storefront on Santa Monica Boulevard. Right. Like it should be because you're getting ready to go back into life. Right? Yeah. And yeah, so... And the, theoretically, you, know, you wouldn't be able to afford an apartment as good as that anyways in Los Angeles. I don't think the kids can afford an apartment in Silver Lake, let alone Malibu. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is one thing that I'll give millennials. Like housing prices just make it impossible for them to achieve their dreams. It's just unfair. And that's like, one good thing that might come out of this is that maybe rents will get lowered, you know, because hopefully rents will get lowered. That's right. Because there's two apartments that are key to my life, and people that know about me know that Loliendo, which you were at, Mike, where me and Flea and Anthony lived. Mm -hmm. I John Polkner gave me some paper that I left at his house was me and Anthony and Flea's eviction notice from that apartment. You you forgot this? <laughs> I guess I left it at his house. And, you know, Polkner saves everything. He's like, hey, Bob, I uh, found this thing of yours. Uh, and he gives us my eviction <laughs> notice from like 1983 at he was the Lolly Henda. And we were paying $410 a month for that apartment between three people. It was awesome. Right, yeah, right. So that's like a hundred and forty each, right? <laughs> well, of course, we got evicted. We couldn't even come up with a hundred and forty each. But nowadays, and back then, <laughs> I worked at that bookstore on Hollywood Boulevard. I probably made like two hundred bucks a week or something, right? right. So if your rent's a hundred and forty and you make eight hundred, like you should be rolling in cocaine, right? <laughs> <laughs> you should be doing something. <laughs> <laughs> that money. You got money, baby. Yeah. But nowadays that apartment is like three thousand dollars a month. Yeah. And oh if God. some kid works a good job, like I had a good job, I was the manager of that bookstore. So I was making like two hundred a week. Nowadays a good job, say is twenty dollars an hour, twenty-five dollars an hour. That's four thousand dollars a month. If your rent is three thousand dollars, it's split three ways, a thousand dollars. It's still beyond your grasp to live. That's no beer money at all. No nothing. Yeah. Right? So $20 an hour, that's what one of our friends makes, your former bandmate, is $3,200 a month minus taxes, about six. You get health insurance, like 80. So you're making about $2,400 take home, right? Yeah. Working full time. If your rent is $1,000, you have $1,400 left. Right. Right. Only one and a half times your your rent. Right. When I was paying 140, I was making 800. That's like five times your rent. Yeah. You, you understand? That's yeah. the problem of millennials. The housing is a problem. Mike, you never paid any rent. Uh, I tried not to. I just realized I was telling I was telling the story about how when you so your listeners at home, Mike Mark's very he's very very loose-lipped about his opinions, very tight-lipped about his personal life. So Aww. let me tell you a little story about Mike Mark. In the prime of his disease, when he was smoking crack, had no shame, there's a crack pipe in his mouth like a cigarette, he was living <laughs> next door to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. You were living next door to Ronald Reagan. When? When? In like 85. What? Where? Did no, you... 80, 80, yeah, 85, With who? 80. With who? Laura. Oh, oh, yeah. Her parents' house. Oh, yeah, okay. What year right. was that? Because uh, Reagan uh, was in the White House, but they had a house that was next Hills. door to them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, his parents, <laughs> her parents did. I wasn't living there. You were living there, brother. I don't know how they could stand it. So what you got to understand at home, Mike Mart was a living embodiment of what you think Keith Richards is. <laughs> Just drunk all the time, falling down, unconscious. But he always had these wonderful girlfriends. I just always want to know, just with a, like the first time you meet their parents, what is the fucking conversation like? It's just they just don't want to have any. Yeah, not <laughs> not good. 
<laughs> Let's just go back to that relationship. What was the first time you met her parents? What were the Bob, conditions? I have it? a friend. I have an ex-girlfriend, like one of my first girlfriends. And we recently said, hey, you know, let's get together and ride bikes or something. You know, she lives near. And she goes, oh, no, I live, you know, I take care of my mom. And it would really upset her if she saw you. <laughs> <laughs> 40 years later? Yeah. It's still, still. <laughs> but you, you know what? I understand that. That's a wreckage of my past, you know, and I don't want to have to, you know, that's like but a living I just want to know, like, I just said, okay, no problem. And I, you know. Because I had, I had a couple of uh, things that I talk about, like, the first time on that one girlfriend's parents, and they, just the look on their faces, <laughs> right? Just like, oh, dear. Oh, uh, dear. Oh, dear. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were, like, oh, Connecticut people, and they were, right. like, I can just hear the mother under her breath kind of silently say, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. Like, what was the, like, meet, where did you meet her parents? I, we don't have to say her name, but I know who it is. Where did you meet her parents the first time? Well, when we were going out when we were 18 years old. Uh, and you know, where, where did, was you, did you go over for dinner? No, they never invited me over for dinner. I might have been over for dinner once, but it's a very Eddie Haskell type of moment, you know, where you're just like, yeah, sure, okay, Mrs. Cleaver. You know, and they're just looking at you like, oh, my God, they know everything that's going on, and they just know you're a wreck, and, you know, yeah, it's not Do your good. daughters, have your daughters searched the internet for the your shenanigans? I don't know. I don't even ask them. They know. They know. I'm I'm honest with them. You know? Yeah, but talking about it and seeing it are two different things. Yeah. See, we're just talking about it, and those at home don't know what we're really talking about. And I have the visualization of you get walking on stage in San Francisco, wherever we're playing. You're mad at me. You take a swing at me. You miss me, hit yourself in the head with your guitar and fell down on the ground and just slept on stage yeah. the whole time we played. Do you remember that, Mike Mark? Well, I... Don't, <laughs> of course. And I but I do remember getting mad at me. About. I remember getting to the gig, and we were. Your mom was with us. Yeah, yeah. My mom and her husband were there. Yeah, and uh, we all. Got, and then we I, all so got we, real drunk, and then that, you know that was it, man. I don't know. My mom was a partier. My mom could hold her own. My mom one time, I forget who it was. Well, me and Anthony and her husband at that time that you met, Terry, and her. We're doing coke for like two days. Yeah, she was a partying <laughs> woman. And doing like with my mom. Yeah, it was crazy. And you kind of, when you're in that environment, you kind of forget that it's your mom. It's just yeah. like another pal. <laughs> like, yeah. And then, but but you have these moments of clarity, like shit. That's my mom. <laughs> like doing <Right>. coke. <laughs> She's passed, so we can talk about her. Uh, but. Fair. But then years later, yeah, but I I'm still her. here, Bob. Though so. I know, but years <laughs> later, I confronted her. I, I confronted <laughs> her, and I said, "Hey, you know, I was just wondering if you ever felt guilty about doing drugs with me and Anthony and stuff." And she, "Are you kidding? What are you talking about?" She acted like it had never, like it never happened. happened. Yeah. And I was like, then I, and I was like a year sober and I was like, oh my God, maybe I just like imagine that. So I went and checked with Anthony. I go, did we used to do drugs with my mom? Yep. Yeah. Right. And she, he goes, yeah, with that husband of hers that was a Coke dealer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep, exactly. And he, I told him, you know, she won't, she won't admit it. And he goes, let it go, Bob. She, she doesn't want to admit it. Right. So that's what I'm going to do with you, Mike. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push you to, to, Realize, and I love. I'm not denying anything, though. I loved being around you, but sometimes it was uh, challenging. Yeah, I agree. agree. It was hard. You know why you were tolerated? Because of your songwriting. I play good guitar, though. When you're conscious. But but, you know, it was weird because I look at like videos where I'm playing guitar, and I have no recollection of playing the gig, and I'm obviously almost comatose in the video in these Texan horse heads or Thelonious Monster videos, and and. and it's great playing. I'm not you're even convincing looking at yourself of that. No, no, no. It's good, man. <laughs> no, I did see one at the Palladium. Uh, no, at the at the Palace. You're running around. You're jumping around like you're in the Red Hot Chili Peppers or something. And you play the solo of Sammy Hager Weekend perfectly. Yeah, and I have maybe. No- and you flub and you flub it often when we've played it sober. Maybe you need to be drunk to play that Sammy Hager Weekend intro. <laughs> 
You had to have well, a few before. It was the same with driving. You had to have a few before you could really get on the road and be safe. <laughs> you know? But, That's um, top Jimmy line. Hey, so, right, well, uh, so next week, do you think uh, um, uh, we could get Norwood on? Yeah, let's try to get Norwood let's on. Get Norwood I want to hear. Let's, even this week, I'll, I'll text him. Okay. I'll, I'll, we got to get the, the, the message from the street from Norwood. Yeah, what's going on? That would be on. great. That would be a great episode. All right. Well, so everybody, right, cool. don't die. Norwood Fisher will be with us next time. And uh, we love you all, man. All right. Peace out. Bye. Bye.